Let's pray. If you got your Bibles, we're going to talk about uh, March to the Cross, the betrayal today, the betrayal. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for this beautiful time we have together. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this church body. Lord, thank you, God, for uh, the way people worshiped in this place today, God. Uh, Lord, uh, you're pleased when we worship God. Uh, you deserve the honor. You deserve the glory. You deserve the praise, God. Uh, and it's just good to remember, to remember, God, when I think about what he's done for me. Oh, Lord, it just, uh, it just gets me excited. It just, uh, it just uh, I'm overwhelmed, God, by it. And, uh, and, and, and I, just, uh, I, I just can't help, God, but to praise you. You, you. you deserve all the honor. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the praise, God. You saved my soul. You redeemed me. You redeemed me, God. You, you, you brought me out of a miry pit, and you, you put me on a firm foundation, God. You established my goings. You, Lord, you, 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 you erased my past, God. You, you've changed me, God. And, uh, and Lord, you've, uh, uh, you've, you've promised me heaven, God. You've given me eternal life with you, God. Not only heaven, not a heaven without you, God, but a heaven with you, God, in your presence, God. And in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us today, God. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our lives, God. Help us to understand a little bit more about betrayal, about the refiner's fire that we're being placed in, the fire, the furnace, God, of testing and trials, God, that we're currently in. Let us see that they're producing in us something so good. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 22, starting at verse 45 through 53. Again, talking about the betrayal. Let me read this scripture here to us. And when he rose from prayer, remember last week we were we were uh, we were in Matthew and we were uh, we were looking at, uh, at at the beginning of things there. And now we come. We were looking at the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now we come here. And it says, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them. <clears throat> why are you sleeping? Remember, he was good back and forth. He saw him sleeping. Now he comes to him. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And look what happens next. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, and I want you to know, notice who's speaking here in this instance, because I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Notice what he's saying, and notice the chaos that's about to ensue right here that's about to take place. He says, but Jesus said unto him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike them with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Now go ahead. And then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and the elders, look, 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 he's speaking again. He's spoken to, he's spoken to Judas. He, he, he's performed a miracle in the midst of this. He has, he has spoken to, uh, the, uh, to uh, the disciples, and now he's speaking to the high priest, the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders. Who had come out against him? Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me? What are you, chicken then? I mean, you, you had your chance. You, you know, what, 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 what's the deal? But, everybody say but. but. This is your hour and the power of darkness. 
but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So that begs a question. Who's in charge? Who's in charge of the hour of darkness? Because I got news for you. Every Christian goes into an hour of darkness, and I'd say we're in one right now. There's an hour of power, an hour of darkness that is allowed to come uh, at certain points and certain times. And here's one where it came. And we want to ask the question, who's in charge? I, I listened to a pastor, and I, 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 this uh, example is just such a good example. I was listening to a message, and he was preaching on this very topic. And, and, and he used this example. He used to be, uh, before he got saved and called into the ministry, he was uh, going into uh, photography. And he went to a really, really uh, prestigious school in New York and was gaining some popularity in photography. And one of the things that he said in photography, one of the classes that they taught him was, they, they taught him about lighting, they taught him about all these things, but one of the things that they taught that was so important is that uh, to, to be able to photograph a session, because when you get uh, rich and famous rock musicians, when you get uh, powerful and elite, you get presidents, you get queens, you get all sorts of people, they like to feel like they're in charge, Right? So they taught a class on how to make people feel like they're in charge when they're really not in charge. Right? And, and, and there's a, there was a famous uh, uh, photographer by the name of Richard Avedon. And he was a fashion photographer, or is a fashion photographer. And he did a lot of famous paintings and pictures and that sort of, or pictures. And one of the ones that he did was uh, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. And this famous uh, picture is in all kinds of museums uh, across the world. And one of the things that he did was, when they came in, he, he spent a lot of time doing, taking this picture. And the problem was that the Duke and the Duchess were all smiley. And he didn't want smiley. He wanted real. He wanted a real uh, a picture. He wanted to catch them in a real moment. He wanted them to drop their defenses, but he didn't. He was trying to think, how in the world do I do this? And what he began to notice was that every time they took a break, they had brought a little dog that was their dog. And they began to go over and play with this dog, and they were all smiley and happy. And so what Richard did was he decided to make up a story. And when they came back and they sat down in the chair to take the picture, he said, I, I meant to tell y'all this morning, on the way coming to the studio, I ran over a dog on the way and ran over a puppy. And he said, all of a sudden, their defenses dropped and their face dropped, and he got the picture that he wanted. And here's the picture that you see. He got them to get into the point. That picture is famous all over the world. There's another famous photographer that is known for doing this. She will take and she will, uh, she will take but not put film in the camera and she'll take her subjects uh, like uh, all these pictures snap 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 they want to oh take me this way oh I'm better when you do the lighting this way and they're telling them all how to do it she lets that get all out of their system then she puts a roll of film and takes about five pictures and gets her picture every time because once they drop their defenses and they are, get real then all of a sudden they get what they want and so they make the people think that they're really in control when they're not really in control. And that's what's taking place here with the betrayal of Jesus. 
And so what we have here is there's all kinds of, of, of things going on. And I want to reread a couple of verses and show you this. Look at verse 52. It says, Then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you in the uh, temple day after day, or when I was yeah, in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. But this is your hour, and this is the power of darkness. And then they seized him and led them, led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. What that Greek word really means is this is the authority of darkness. This is the authority of darkness is now able to reign and rule. And so, so, so Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is chained like, like, like an like a animal. He's, he's outnumbered. The disciples are outnumbered. They have only one weapon in their whole arsenal. And Peter uses it to cut a man's ear off. And Jesus heals that man's ear in the process. Yet look who is speaking the whole time in this passage of Scripture. They think they're in charge. It seems, it appears that they are in charge. It appears this is your hour and the power of darkness. But look who really is carrying on the conversation. Look who really is working miracles in the midst of this hour. Look who really is leading and, and, and moving in this. It's really quite hilarious when you begin to look at how he's confronting the disciples. He's telling them, what, why, why, put your sword away. What are you doing? And, and, and then he's speaking to the high priest and he's speaking to the officers and he's speaking to the, to the elders, calling them about their hypocrisy, about their fear of man. He's calling out people in this whole time. He's calling them out left and right. And it might be their hour, but I want you to look at who is really, really, really in control. It's not the darkness that is in control. It's Jesus who is in control. He has the power. He, he, he really is the one. And he's being arrested, yet he's still in control. Still picking up ears. Still putting them back on. And I want you to look at the disciples' response in this hour of power and darkness because I believe it's our response right now, sadly. And I think we need to find out what God's doing so that we can react otherwise. Did they realize Jesus was in control? Absolutely not. They go berserk. They're running for fear. They're absolutely tailored in fear and confusion. When the darkness and hour of power hits and Jesus is arrested, they scatter. They're running, man. They're afraid. They don't know what's happening. Their master, the one who, who they followed, is now being led like a lamb to the slaughter. They don't realize Jesus is in control. They think the Roman army's in control now. They think everybody here, the religious leaders, are in control. And all they are doing is they are in confusion. They are in self-preservation like we are now. Let's save our skin. Let's save our life. I mean, they're running. They're confused. They are, and you know why? You want to know why? Because they didn't pray. They didn't pray. They haven't been praying. They're asleep. So they don't hear the voice of God and the leading of God. Because you, when you pray, what happens? You're intimate with God. You're close to God. Pray that you, that you, don't, don't, you don't fall asleep. And that you're not tempted in the hour of testing and trial. Here comes the hour of testing and trial. They haven't been praying. They're not close with God. And all of a sudden, when the, when the hour of darkness comes, they react out of fear. They react out of of confusion they go bananas and begin to preserve their own flesh man you are quiet 
I hope you open up here. Just, just, uh, they're, they're, they're just this uh, no place of intimacy, no, no leading and direction of the Lord. And we've got a church age today that you call a corporate meeting. You, we, we're not praying. We're not praying in our homes like we ought to be praying. We're not praying in the, you call a church meeting, a prayer meeting. You can barely get people to come to church, much less come to a prayer meeting. There'll be five people if you're lucky. And you know what that tells me? That as the hour of power and darkness comes on the earth, you want to know what Christians are going to be doing? They're going to be confused. They're going to be in fear and they're going to be reacting the way these disciples reacted. And you know why I know that? Because I'm watching it happen. I'm watching it through a pandemic. I'm watching it through everything that we're going through. People are so afraid. They're so confused. All they want to do is save their own necks. Right? Stay in the house. Self-preserve. Don't get around me. Don't get near me. Stay away. And we're all fearful. We're all reacting out of fear rather than hearing the leading and the voice of God. Amen? God, what do you want to do right now? Where are you leading me? Do you want me to go here today? Do you want me to go be with this person? Do you want me to go there? What's going on in this hour of darkness? What's happening? I want to be in, on my knees in prayer. I want to be in intimate relationship with the Father. He wants to direct us. He wants to lead us. He wants to show us the way. He doesn't want you act, acting out of confusion. He doesn't want you afraid. He wants you to hear His voice. But every Christian experiences an hour of power and darkness. Do you hear me? Every Christian is going to experience this. Where the walls of protection come down in the world. Where the walls the, that God has put around us are taken away. And all of a sudden the hedge comes down. And the barriers come down. And the, and the walls that He's put in the world are, come down that keep different spirits out. And that keep different uh, uh, things at bay. They get removed and they're allowed to move in. And they're allowed to come and wreak havoc in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls, not only outside with the circumstances, but inside. This hour of power and darkness where the defenses come down and inside there is this battle waging that's going on trying to darken the minds and hearts and soul and bring you during a time of chaos. Trying to blind you to the goodness of God. Trying to cause you to fear. Trying to cause you to, 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 uh, to, to, to not see Him for who He really is and what He can really do. And I'll explain that in a minute throughout Jesus' arrest, uh, betrayal, trial, and crucifixion. That, because the one common theme throughout those things is they mock Him at every instance. In every turn, they mock Jesus. They mock him in, in, all the, in, in every term. And so for 2 Kings gives us a little bit of an insight into why they do this. They, if you go to a story in 2 Kings that's found in chapter 1 verse 9, there's a king by the name of Ahaziah, uh, and, and he, he fell and became sick. He fell through some lattice uh, and, and a lattice uh, thing and uh, there at his palace, and he became sick. The Bible says, and all of a sudden, what happened with this king is he sent messengers to somebody by the name of Beelzebub, and 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 it was not the the it was not God's people. It was a it was a false god, and so he wants to go inquire of this false god as to whether he's going to be healed or not. And so the Bible says that. 
the angel of the Lord goes to Elijah and the angel of the Lord warns Elijah and tells him to go meet the messenger and to tell him that the king is going to die. And so what does the king do? The king gets angry and the king sends soldiers and that's where the story picks up. And so then the king, and I want you to see what normally prophets do or did when this happened in the scriptures. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. So he's sending 50 soldiers against Elijah. And Elijah went up, who uh, was sitting on the top of the hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of the 50, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down on you. Come on. You fix it and see why they're reacting the way they're reacting about prophet Jesus. If I'm the man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Go to the next verse. Again, the king sent another 50 men to his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come up, come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent the captain a third time, 50 with his 50. And the third captain of the 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. Oh, man of God, please let my life be spared and the life of these 50 servants yours be precious in your sight. So soldiers are mocking Jesus. If you're a prophet, come down. If you're who you say you are, call fire down on our heads. Prophesy, king. If you're who you say you are, why am I slapping you on the face? If you are who you say I am, why am I plucking the beard out of the hair out of your beard? You ain't no prophet. If you're who you say you are, you would be calling fire on our heads right now. You would be doing something. And so they begin to mock him. And what they're basically saying is God doesn't work this way. God doesn't work this way. That we can bind him, we can hit him, and yet he does nothing. And they're mocking him as if to say he doesn't work this way. God defeats his enemies. God brings vengeance down on the heads of his enemies. Today, don't don't let this hour of power confuse you. As you begin to see all these things coming on the world. God doesn't let this happen. God doesn't do this. God doesn't do that. Why are there so many killings here? Why is this being allowed to happen? Why is that being allowed to happen? And all of a sudden. There's all this confusion because things are going on. Look, we've seen COVID deaths. We've seen wars. Guess what? You're soon going to see famines from those wars that are going to be horrific that you're about to see on the face of the earth. And folks, don't let this hour of power confuse you. Don't let, as you see dictators come on the scene, as you see economies collapse. I remember back when everybody was saying, God won't allow Trump to go out of office. God won't allow this one to go in to office. God won't allow this and God won't allow that. Oh, really? Yeah. 
worldwide power shifting in ways that you may not think with your little flesh that it should happen that way. This is your hour of power and darkness. Look, look, shaking in churches, shaking in our lives, shaking in our communities. And I hear those who have been asleep, who haven't really been intimate with God, saying God won't let the enemy take this country. God won't do this. God won't do that. Really? This is your hour of power and the hour and power of darkness. What did he say in Matthew 24? You'll hear of rumors of wars. You'll see neighbor betraying this one. You'll see son and daughter locking this one in jail. You'll see this happening and you'll see that happening. And you'll see this happening before the great and coming day of the Lord. If Jesus said that, then you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. And I hear that in American church. He'll get us out. He'll rapture us before anything bad happens. Tell that to the guy being beheaded over in Syria right now. Tell that for the mom fleeing for her life right now in a war-torn Ukraine that's got to find food and shelter somewhere. you got a wrong God. You've been reading the wrong Bible. He will protect you. He will take care of you. He's taking care of them right now. He will take care of us. But he, he will look after all of us. But he's got something far more important than making us happy or feel good all the time in a way that we don't need to be that's going to turn out bad for us. He's a loving father who won't give bad gifts to his children. He knows how to take care of us. And he's doing something in the fire and in the furnace of testing. He's doing something in the hour of power. Power, amen and darkness. Before you say, do you believe in the rapture? Yes, I believe in the rapture. But there's birth pains up until we get taken out of here, folks. And they can get pretty doggone intense. And any nation that forgets God is turned into hell. And if America chooses to go the way of other nations, we are not a favorite. He'll do to us just like he did. In fact, I'd say it'd be worse because we've had greater light. Okay? We're a greater example. And, and so, so, so uh, uh, to tell people that, that we're not going to suffer when third world nations that serve God, right now people inside those nations serve God, they're suffering, folks. They're suffering. They're suffering, but God loves them. God cares for them. God, the evil in this world from the enemy, the evil from evil governments, the evil from man. Don't blame God. Man's brought these atrocities. We chose sin. We brought this on our our world. But God knows how to turn and use all things together for our good. Amen? So 1 Peter 4.12, he says this, he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised at the fire and the fiery trial when it comes to test you. When it comes to test you. Listen to what he says. He goes on to say, as though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice. 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 Rejoice in as much. Listen to what he says. But but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And that tells me something good is going to come out of the suffering that's going to lead to some glory. 
this must be necessary to get me to this. He's not a God that just takes pleasure in watching you suffer or to go through some hardship. There must be something good that is involved in it that he's watching out for that brings me to the expected and desired end of glory. I want glory, don't you? Look at what he says in 1 Peter 1 and 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. It's just a little while. Hang on, folks. It's a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Various. Grieved. We don't like that in modern Christianity. We don't like that. That's how you get empty pews in your churches. When you preach that. Grieved by various trials. That doesn't pack them in. But it's in your Bible. That's what it says. And if we know about it, we'll be able to, 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 to recognize it when it comes. And by His power, we'll be able to endure it, right? And understand what it is. And that it works in us something far greater. So trials are being used by God to test us. Trials are being used by God to test us. They're being used to refine us. Everybody say refine. So what are these trials doing in us and in the church? Number one, they're molding us. And number two, they are purifying us. And whether you think it or not, you need purifying. Because we have been in a wicked, carnal age. I need purifying. I need molding. And those of you who think you don't, you got bigger problems than worrying about suffering. When a jeweler wants to refine a piece of silver, do you know what that jeweler does? That jeweler sticks it in the fire so that it can be molded. It cannot be molded, Daniel, without fire. You can't put it and hammer it. You can't beat it out by itself. You can't just put it in a hammer to it. You can't put it, Caleb, in a vise and just bend it and do what you want to do with a pair of pliers. It has to be put into the fire. And as it's put into the fire, or as we are put into the fire, it creates a sensitivity inside of our hearts to hear God's voice again. Because all we've wanted to do for the past generation is get on that telephone or get on our TV at home and binge watch Netflix. And so what this began, and we don't want to go to the prayer meeting. And so we don't hear the voice of God. And so when the hour and power of darkness comes upon us, we're confused. We're chaos. We're running for our lives. And so God has to bring a sensitivity back in our heart to want to hear the voice of God. How do you think He's going to do that? Put you in the fire. And when He puts you in the fire... A sensitivity comes in your heart and says, Man, this is getting tough. Maybe I need to turn the television off tonight and get on my knees. Maybe I need to come back to church on Sunday. And be gathered together with people in the house of God. And he begins to mold our lives. And to sh- rather than the Oscars molding your life as you're staring at that stupid gold thing on TV that they got coming up this weekend as it is sitting there molding you. No, God says, turn that off. Hollywood's been molding you enough. Now let me mold you in the fire of the furnace into my likeness. Because you look like the spirit of the age, church. 
You look no different. You walk like it. You talk like it. You act like it. You wear their clothes. You do what they do. You sing their songs. You do everything that they do because you've been molded uh, into something other than me. And he begins to put us in the fire and it brings a sensitivity to his voice and we can hear his voice and he begins to mold and shape our lives. How about when the COVID broke out we weren't coming to church everybody was running to their prayer closets. Everybody was grabbing the Bible. Right? I ain't got anything else to do. We're reading the Word of God. We can't come to church. And we begin to read the Word of God. And, and, and He wants to shape our lives. We begin to pray a little bit again. He begins to reprioritize us. He, we begin to put the Lord back where He belongs. We begin to detach from the things of this world. Maybe working 100,000 hours isn't the best thing and missing church. Maybe all the overtime is not worth it. Maybe family does matter. Maybe my relationship with my wife does matter. Maybe my kids do matter. Maybe the church does matter. Because we haven't been able to go there. Anymore, and we begin to reprioritize in the fire. We begin to reprioritize things, and we begin to find out what is important and what is not not important. And we begin to it begins to develop a hunger for God that begins to arise in our lives. And guess what? Preaching alone, or really preaching, cannot do that. Preaching can prepare you for the fire. I'm preparing you right now to tell you that the furnace may get turned up hotter in the days ahead, but it's the fire that shapes you. It's the fire that is molding you. It's the fire. Think about it. It's been in the hard times of my life when I look back over them that it changed me. It ran me to God. It took me to places and it changed and shaped and molded my life in the fire. Only the fire can mold and shape you. Number one, the fire molds. And number two, when God puts us into the fire, it purifies. It purifies us. You know what it brings? A sensitivity to sin. Andy, it begins to cause something to rise up and say, that little bit of porn, it's affecting me hearing the voice of God. That materialism in America, where we buy more junk and more junk and more junk, and we got to rent trailers and we got to rent those. We, everywhere you look, there's a new, new. Uh, what are those storage shed rising up to put more of our stuff in? And we got so all that thing I had to have is now when I open the closet, it falls out. And I walk, oh, there's that thing. You know, you had to have it. And now it means nothing. And we began to get this sensitivity in our, in our heart that maybe this lust does matter. This materialism does matter. That gossip, that lying, and something is created in the pain of these things. And we start praying for change. We begin to pray, God, oh God, I don't want to live like this. Oh God, I don't want to live with this thing. If this thing causes me not to hear you and I get scared and I get confused and I'm lonely and all these things are beginning to happen, then dear God, take, take this thing out of my life. Take this little bit of lust. Take this little bit of lying. Take this little bit of gossip. Take these things out of my life. And that's what the fire is purifying and removing. It's removing those things. And guess what? That's why some of you can't stand what's going on in your life because the last two years we've been put in a fire and those things you didn't know were there that are absolutely putrid and ugly are starting to surface like your anger and your attitude 
and your sexual desires and cravings and all sorts of things have been pushed into the furnace and the fire and the impurities are starting to rise. And we want to push them down and forget about them. And God's saying, no, I'll turn the knob a little bit higher because I want you to see them and I want you to bring them to me and I want, I want you to allow me to take them out of your life because until they're taken out of your life, you can't look like me. And this world needs to see me. It needs to see me in the church. It doesn't need to see them in the church. It needs to see me in your life. And here's what's so interesting when I make that comment. Do you know what the refiner in Bible times did? Because here's the thing. If the silver got too hot, then it destroyed it. And if the silver got too cold, then the impurities didn't come out. And he couldn't get that out either. And because he wanted it just right... He put it into the fire, and you know what he did, Daniel? He got a seat, and he began to sit and watch the heat of the fire. And you want to know, Joe, how he knew when it was just right, not too hot and not too cold? When he could look into the silver and see his reflection in the silver. Do you want to know what God has been doing in your life the last couple of years as He's putting you and this church and all the churches across the world into the fire? He is watching it just right. Here's the beautiful part. You say, I can't take anymore, God. Take this away from me. He says, I'm watching. I know what you can take. I'm going to turn it just a little bit hotter because there's some dross in there that needs to be coming to the surface. There's some impurities there that need to rise again. Oh, God, it's getting too hot. Okay, maybe I do need to dial it back just a hair because I don't want that to happen either. He is watching and he knows whether the fires of the world that we're being put into right now are too hot or they are too cold. So let's shut our mouths and let's begin to trust the the one who is refining and let's watch him make something beautiful into the image of the glorious God and King. Amen. He watches the fire. And he waits. And the fires that we are experiencing right now, folks, are being just what we need. Just what we need so that God intends to bring us exactly to what we are supposed to be. He turns up the heat a little bit more and he backs off the heat a little bit more. Let me close. Psalms 66. Praise God, all you peoples. Praise him everywhere. And let every is why fuss. And jump and scream. (sighs) Why aren't you praising him? What does this say? Praise him everywhere. Let everyone know you love him. There's no doubt about it. God holds our life safely in his hands. God holds your life. Whether in a fire. Whether in flood. Whether in war. No matter where. God holds your life in your hand. If you've given your life to God. Why are you fretting? You're in his hand. God holds you safely in his hands. He's the one who keeps us faithfully following him. Oh Lord. We have passed through. Your fire. Whose fire? We have passed through your fire. 
Like precious metal made pure, you've proved us, perfected us, and made us holy. Oh God, bring the fire. Send the fire. We used to sing that in Brownsville Revival days. Oh God, of dun, 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 send. Look that song up. Send the fire. Send the fire. Oh, you've captured us. He's captured you. He's ensnared you in your net. Then like prisoners, Paul, what Paul you say? I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm your prisoner, God. You place chains around our necks. You've allowed, say allowed, our enemies. Oh, we don't like this stuff. That's in your Bible, people. You've allowed our enemies to prevail against us. Why? There's a reason. There's a reason. It's for our good. Go on to the next verse. Oh. That's it. That's it. You've allowed our enemies to prevail against us. He goes on to say, we passed through the fire of the flood, yet in the end, here's what he says. Because he's allowed, the, the rest of that verse said, we passed through fire and we passed through flood, yet in the end, you always bring us out better than we were before. Saturated with your goodness. Now, I'm going to say that again. Why have you allowed the enemies and these other things? Why have you taken me a prisoner? Because, and why have you let me pass through the fire and the flood? Because in the end, I bring you out better than you were before, saturated with my goodness. Because I put you in the fire, and in the fire, I've molded you and I've purified you. It's like a sermon that one of my favorite preachers preached. Are the giants really necessary? Oh, yeah. Because you got something called the flesh. And you can't deal with it by yourself. And we decided we wanted to follow the rule of the flesh. And so God has to deal and crucify the flesh and do something about the flesh. Or we would absolutely be overcome and destroyed. And so he is molding us and he is purifying us. And that's what the disciples experienced when this betrayal took place and chaos ensued and the hour of power and darkness began. And it appeared to them because they hadn't been walking in close proximity with praying and intimacy with God that now they're so confused and they begin to freak out. They begin to try to preserve themselves. They run for their life. That's why they're not at the crucifixion all but John. That's why because they're scattering. They're running everywhere. And rather than being led, being led by God into where he wants to lead them and where he wants them. God wants to lead us right now in the midst of this chaos and confusion and this hour of darkness that has taken place not only in the world outside of here where it feels like the defenses are being lifted and evil is coming in everywhere and the one taking place in our side of us that causes us to be blinded from the, from the darkness is trying to blind us to God and we begin to mock God as well. We begin to mock and say, well, God really doesn't care about our neighbors. Well, God must not really care about me. Well, God must not really care about the COVID situation because people are dying everywhere and we begin to mock God 
Just like the world began to mock God and say, this isn't the way God does things or would do things. And, and we begin to lose sight rather than to have direction to say, God say, I hate this evil. I'm doing something about this evil. I'm ridding the world of evil. I sent my son to die and be buried and rose from the grave. And I'm allowing it to move for a certain time. But my church is moving, restraining evil. And one day, if you'll read the back of the book, I've got a plan for this. You're acting like I don't have a plan for this. I've got a plan for this. I'm going to destroy evil. And it will never rear its ugly head again. But in the meantime, I desire that none should perish and all that should come to repentance. And that's why I'm so long-suffering. And you can't understand why it looks like the enemy's having a field day. I'm long-suffering, desiring that none should perish. Listen, true joy, true peace comes through the refiner's fire. It comes through the refiner's fire. It's how God awakens His church. If you've ever prayed, how many ever prayed and said, man, our lives in the church is in a bad state? How many felt that? Or you just feel like the church in a... You feel like we're in great shape? Okay, if you've ever prayed, God, we need revival. We need an awakening. You know how that comes? When you prayed that, do you know what you asked God to do? Put us in the fire. Put us in the refiner's fire. God, we need a fire. We need to be placed in the fire. We need to be placed in the furnace. We need to be, we need to be purified and we need to be molded. So anytime we pray for this, we, we, we're, we're praying for that. And I say today, even more so, God, put us in the fire. Put us in, put Brad, if you don't want to go, put Brad Lindsay. I, I don't like pain and suffering, but if it's what is necessary to make me look like Christ and less of me, then God, put me in the fire. Oh, Father, we love you. We love you. And God, we thank you for the betrayal. We thank you, God, for what you're teaching us in here. And Father, I want my heart to be exposed. I want my heart to be made sensitive to these things. And when I'm made sensitive to them, I don't want to deny them and say, well, that can't be. I've been a Christian all my life. No, I want, I want to respond to the Holy Spirit I want to respond to the refiner and say, God, now that this is exposed in my life, this anger, this getting ticked off all the time at my wife, this, this, these things that you're exposing, I, I want them out. I want it out of my life, God. Come and do what only you can do. God, take the bitterness. It seems like, God, COVID and all these things, they're just making me more cynical and bitter towards the world. More cynical towards politicians, more bitter God, take it out of me. Take it out of me. Rip this stuff away as these things start to come. This selfishness, this selfishness, this anger, this, these areas of lust, these things, rip them away. And Lord, take them out of my life in Jesus' name. Let me read one more scripture, and then we're going to play a song, and I'm going to give you an altar call. This is pretty cool. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you, oh, look at that word. It's insanity. When you walk through the fires. What idiot walks through a fire? If I told you this church was on, on fire right now, I bet you none of you would walk. 
right? If it was blazing on fire, who would walk? Except the man who's walking with God. And he says, I'm refining you in the midst of the fire. And I've got everything under control. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I'm a great refiner. I'm a great silversmith. And I'm waiting until it's just right. And I see my reflection in them again. So the church will look like me. For I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Hallelujah.